Well, hello there, everybody. So, I have a few points to make here. According to the Economic Policy Institute, gig workers have the standard issues of struggling to pay bills or even put food on the table, but also three out of every five gig workers, or 62%, lost earnings because of technical difficulties clocking in or out, compared with 19% of W-2 service sector workers, which to me has strong hints of a scammy aftertaste. And, you know, a, a lot of the economy actually looks like a very scammy thing. And this would be a significant element of that, actually, because, you know what, 62% is, that's pretty damn high. So, you know, as a result of the thriving gig economy, as it's called, younger workers have had to navigate a different set of challenges when it comes to finding stable employment and ensuring fair compensation. On the bright side, the rise of technology and the internet has made it easier for people to access information about salaries and working conditions. This increased transparency has potentially empowered younger generations to be more informed and assertive when it comes to negotiating their salaries and seeking fair treatment in the workplace. The more they get organized, the more a job offer's conditions become a negotiable topic in favor of the workers. So, of course, the uh, 1%, those lovable bastards, are trying to prevent that from happening. You know, uh, younger Americans have long been the most progressive in the working world, and now they're also beginning to prove their worth in the political arena as far as voting goes, because you might recall that in the 2022 midterms, the youth vote really did help prevent the so-called red wave that was supposed to occur. Now, the Republicans did still win, which is crazy because the party is increasingly a bizarre cult, but they didn't win quite as hard as they originally thought they would. What scares silly billies on the far right is that the younger, increasingly non-white, maybe even non-religious or religiously indifferent American is increasingly the typical everyday American. And can't you just hear the rednecks now? I can, I can hear them saying, oh my god, there is more interracial breeding than there is neo-confederate inbreeding. Oh no! But it gets worse for the far right when it comes to younger Americans um, staying progressive as they get older. That's actually an increasing trend. And uh, there are some interesting reasons for that. One is that uh, conformity doesn't really seem to pay off as much as it probably used to. Their social consciousness is pushing them to be more discerning about where they get a job and more willing to demand some better wages, promotions, and working conditions. In other words, they are having a little more uh, standards, maybe a little bit more of a backbone than uh, you know they're supposed to have. They're a little more likely to ultimately start unions or at the very least, quit bullshit jobs. Sometimes that might be called having standards, you know, instead of, you know, some sort of radical idea. 
I don't think it's always some ideological thing. Not all of this is, you know, strictly a left-right sort of thing. It's just, you know, this job sucks. I'm not going to work here. Which is, frankly, what a, what a lot of people should have been saying all this time. And political expert types have called this agency. And agency may be defined as the objective capacity of individuals to act collectively or individually in a manner that either reinforces or undermines prevalent social relations and organizational structure. So, wow, that's like a fancy, nerdy way of saying, you know, people have standards sometimes and they actually abide by them. That's really kind of what that says. Admittedly, I'm not getting everything here from a survey that I'm going to say or from, you know, uh, a study or even a news article. Um, some of what I'm going to go on to say is just going to be, you know, me um, making points or riffing or, or, or whatever you want to say. And it's occasionally going to go off script. But, you know, I assume that the majority of 18 to 29 year olds now would be willing to pay more in taxes to increase spending on education and jobs and things like that. And, you know, if, if they're not going to, you know, uh, focus on education and jobs, you know, from the uh, standard means, I think they're probably a little more likely to uh, sort of create their own universe, so to speak, you know, sort of like what uh, a lot of people you would think would do sort of naturally, rather than wait for some boss or manager or politician to gift us with all these programs. You know, sometimes I think people can sort of, um, you know, create their own stuff organically, so to speak. And anyway, you know, as far as the the younger generations go... This cohort has also been one of the most enthusiastic adopters of the one percenters as targets of occasional or sustained protest. And no, by one percenter, I do not mean the motorcycle gang term. I mean rich-ass bitches who pretty much don't give a shit. Some millennials see their lack of care and say, you know what? You don't care about me? Well, I don't care about you. I'm going to talk about how much you suck. And so they do. It's not rocket science, you know, it's not necessarily uh, because they're all Marxists or whatever. It's just, you know, you, you look around and you see a lot of the status quo institutions and businesses that just don't care about people. I mean, what else are they going to do? You know, they're, they're going to have the same attitude in return. And uh, they're going to have more reason to walk away from, you know, a corporation that's ripping them off and not treating them well. You know, Thomas Edison famously said, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Well, in this case, the 1% wants to claim responsibility for 100% of the inspiration and the genius, as well as a huge portion of the money, of course, and the material wealth, the uh, possessions, 
and they'll strive to make sure the 99% of the population will be responsible for more of the perspiration and the hardship, only perhaps without the infrastructure to take a shower uh, for all their perspiration, because there will be increased third-worldization, so to speak, if the mega-rich have their way and they can just keep on yanking away more and more resources and more and more money and, you know, control more of the media and the narrative. The poor would just be set up somewhere out of sight, out of mind, maybe occasionally beat up or killed or tossed in prison sometimes. And, you know, with, with the corruption the way it is and the lying, I would say that the flimsier the charges, the better. You know, like Donald Trump, the uh, supposed savior of mankind, he's talked in recent years about, you know, executing drug dealers. Well, guess who could be a drug dealer? It could be just, just about anyone. You could even fake charges against somebody and, you know, throw them in the slammer. It's not to say that happens all the time now, but, you know, if you have standards of evidence that have just gone the way of the Dota, well, you can just drum up some charges if you want, like like they like to do sometimes. And as law and order erodes under the pseudo-capitalistic, theocratic kleptocracy, those who are able to pay attention will be distracted by nonstop coverage of just how great the uh, Elon Musks of the world are. And yeah, I know some of you are already thinking, but Elon Musk is great. Well, let me just tell you something. And I won't even get into what he's doing to Twitter or anything like that. I just want to say something that should be non-controversial here. If you had been born into money the way that he was, guess what you might have? Your family might be able to afford financial advisors for you and actually some pretty good ones too. Maybe the best ones that money could buy. And what does that mean? If you listen to their sound advice and start, you know, uh, butting into various businesses to attach your image to them, what do you have? Well, you have branding taking place. And then you can tell everyone what a genius you are because you're attached to this business and to that one. And after you post and share some of the dumbest things on Twitter imaginable, some people won't even care because you're such a genius. Well, again, in a lot of cases, it's because people had the uh, wherewithal to have good economic advisors and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't doesn't necessarily mean you're a genius. It just means, uh, in this case, in the case of Elon Musk, he already had rich parents, you know? They helped him get set up, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, it's not quite the genius scenario that uh, some people are making it out to be. And anyway, that's the sort of vision that they have for the future where, you know, we all become a bunch of dumbasses who have our resources and education and whatnot yanked away. Media literacy, the ability to think critically, uh it might become harder to get food and, you know, land and shelter. Housing could be a problem, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it goes from the individual is great 
but let's sometimes pretend to be on the same page and care about some of your concerns while doing little about them. It, it goes from that into a world of only a handful of individuals are great, and who gives a fuck what happens to everyone else? And, you know, that's sort of the bold plan for the future, which is a lot like the uh, bold plans of the past, you know, these uh, ruling classes that uh, really exhibit their privilege and they wear it on their sleeve. So if that trend keeps up, which I'm sure it will, the Grey Poupon commercial that was so popular, you know, years ago, like when I was a kid, might someday change. You know, it might might look more like you'll have those two rich guys stop in their fancy limos and they'll roll down their windows and one asks for that precious Grey Poupon and the other one is revealed as an imposter and he takes out a flamethrower or a rocket launcher and says, this is for the 99% and you can keep your cruddy ass mustard. Then boom, societal revenge. Well, that kind of scenario isn't quite as outlandish as it sounds. Um, and <laughs> well, I mean, it's not literally going to be like that. But, you know, in the past, you know, revolutions have gone bloody and it's always been a little bit about class. You know, one group wants power and the others deny that power. So there's some sort of bloody struggle that takes shape. And sure, it's not always, you know, strictly about class, but it, but it is about power and power is like a variation on the nature of class. And of, of course, it does not have to be that way. I'm just saying that's how it could be if the ultra-rich keep conveniently forgetting to give ordinary people the scraps off the table. Eventually, the underlings might decide, hey, that fat cat has a nice warm coat that could keep me warm through the winter. I think I'll take it. You know, I mean, the Grey Poupon example, that's just a joke. Although I do like the idea of, you know, somebody wearing like a Scooby-Doo-like costume as like a rich person who's in the 1%. And then, uh, you know, he takes off the mask and he's like, hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> you know, and if the wealthy would just pay the masses better, it would be some anti-revolution insurance and things wouldn't as likely get so messy in the future. Anyway, my wild and hopefully humorous imagery aside, like many millennials, members of Gen Z are acutely aware that the gaps between rich and poor have never been greater, right? And... As a result, they're demonstrating a greater willingness to fight back against the status quo than their older counterparts. And unfortunately, a lot of the older people have been so propagandized against that, you know, that, that the uh, political partnership between generations seems pretty naive. You know, it's, it's not... Uh, it's not quite the case that is boomers versus millennials or boomers versus Gen Z. But, you know, it's a little bit like that. In fact, the younger voters might do what farty old Democrats think is heresy or impossible. They might successfully create third-party alternatives to the two-party system. And, you know, that's 
that's again something that we're not even supposed to entertain as an idea. But in 2016, Democratic candidate Bernie Sanders garnered a significant percent of millennial support, and it's because, oddly enough, that old dude represented the youth successfully. Again, that was despite him being older than the hills, so to speak. Again, some Democrats seem to shiver in their boots when it comes to the prospect of alternatives to the duopoly, and they seem to despise genuine progressives more than they despise Republicans. And if you don't believe me, remember that Nancy Pelosi herself said we need we need a strong Republican Party. And as if to drive that point home, remember that in Texas, she supported Henry Cuellar as the candidate instead of the more openly progressive Jessica Cisneros. And Henry Cuellar, or however his name is pronounced, well, he was actually an anti-abortion Democrat. So that's how much they hate progressives in uh, the Democratic Party. They uh, went against the obviously more progressive candidate. I mean, you can say about that what you, what you want, but that's something that actually happened. Even if you're like a big fan of Nancy Pelosi, that fact is still true. And um, maybe you do, Nancy. You know, you uh, you want uh, to care about the Republicans so much. But the rest of us, you know, want things like universal health care, a more universal safety net, including perhaps even a universal basic income to cover all those jobs that technology will pitch away. You know, they might go the way of the dodo. And... Uh, when I say the rest of us, I mean the rest of us, you know, actual more progressive people. And, you know, as far as job disappearance goes, an example I often use is the disappearance of video rental places like Blockbuster or also Family Video, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, we can, we can laugh about how fuddy-duddy and old-fashioned those places were. But at the end of the day, those were actually jobs that mattered to people, and uh, now they're now they're gone. Well, that's going to happen to more and more professions, and uh, I think we really need a means of addressing that sustained job loss. I almost said job loss, <laughs> but anyway, you know, of course, there is a cultural generation gap between these white baby boomers and just about everyone else who seem to be so often at odds with each other. It does not really have to be that way, but that is how the far right have framed the narrative or has framed the narrative. And way too many of these old ass whiteies are swallowing up that narrative, regardless of that tellingly dumb look on Tucker Carlson's face. You know, that confused look of concern he would get when he was on Fox News that looked like he's taking a crap, except, you know, he's confused about why he has to do it, but also confused about why he's confused about it. You know, that look, you know, a lot of people apparently, they didn't mind looking at that dumb face. And these baby boomer types are able to look past that, or maybe they do embrace that expression. And uh, it's the same face they make when trying to figure out 
why not everyone wants their heads lodged so far up Trump's ass that they find more classified documents? You know, a lot of these baby baby boomers, they're stuck so far up there. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really get the attraction, but hey, it's like, it's like the proverbial moth to the flame, I guess. Society will never be perfect, but the idea that we should all cling to the ideas of old fogies who don't really give a fuck seems to be leading us a bit astray. Lastly, while I think older people seem to fear AI and deep fakes because I see so much coverage about how dangerous it is, I actually think some younger people will make the best of it. You know, once we're talking about Gen Z and millennials and all that, I think I think there's some potential for them to embrace it. You know, there's a guy named Jamil Jaffer, an executive director of the National Security Institute at the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University. He said the U.S. government is cognizant that the senior leaders, political elected officials, and the like might have their images and likenesses manipulated by the use of deep fakes. And, you know, that's supposed to be a scary idea, and I suppose the potential is therefore to be abused. But it's it's also a special kind of problem, I would say. You know, like the uh, the church lady from Saturday Night Live said, my life's not that special. And here's the thing, though. Fake news and fake stories have already been a thing well before there were deep fakes. So I don't think this is really that uh, new of a problem. It's just more of a sophisticated method of lying and sort of more an automatic approach. If anything, I think the widespread availability of this technology might help people better understand how easy it is to be manipulated and it might make them less gullible. So it might work as an educational tool, perhaps. So that's one potential positive. And it, it can and will be cynically used to spread disinformation and hate. But you can already watch some weird and amazing AI videos featuring Bush and Biden. Or not Bush and Biden, but Trump and Biden eating an endless spaghetti. And it's amazing to see like the, the craziness in those videos. So if AI and deepfake will cause the end of the world, as mainstream media seems to think, well, at least we'll be thoroughly entertained by the very things said to be destroying us. And I, for one, welcome our new insect overlords.